0: When they don't have that planning process in place, obviously it's always reactive, that there's never an ability to step back and breathe and look at more strategic kind of initiatives. So if they need to add another line in the facility, if to open another plant, all that is helped by having better planning. You know, times where things don't turn out the way you want them to, and you have to pivot, right? And you have to figure something else out. It really inspires me to keep moving.
1: Welcome to the Supply Chain Show, featuring compelling interviews with remarkable supply chain leaders. Listen in as our guests share their learning and insights on today's supply chain challenges. I'm your host, Crystal Lee, a Principal Consultant with Oliver White. Today as our guest, we have Tara Berdeshaw, a Senior Executive of Supply Chain. Thanks for taking the time to be here today, Tara. Let's get started by having you share a quick introduction.
0: Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, yes, I'm Tara Bertishaw. Um. I live in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, I have been in supply chain for about 25 years now. Uh, I've worked in various industries, consumer products and mining and food and beverage. And I have uh, managed all aspects of supply chain from purchasing to production, to logistics, to customer service, to sales and operation planning, you name it. That's great. With a career like that, with over 20
1: years of experience, all sorts of functions, I'm sure there's so much that we could learn from you. What's one really important thing that we should know about you first, though?
0: I would honestly say I really love to be with my family and I love to work, (laughs) Uh, so I really try to balance both. That's really important to me, Um, and being in a culture where they support that's important, and I think balancing those is, uh, like I said, very important, and you can absolutely succeed at both. And what does it mean to balance work and family? I think you put, you know, 100% into work and do what's needed to, you know, move the organization ahead and make sure that you're succeeding, your team succeeding, the organization succeeding, but also make sure you carve out those times for family and spend quality time with them when you when you have that time.
1: What does your family think about what you do? And how would they describe it? Would they know with clarity the type of decisions and efforts that you have to take every day in
0: your job? Not really. Uh, so people have asked me that quite often, and usually what I tell them, because what my family says is, you purchase things and ship things, <laughs> and that's about what they know. <laughs> but seriously, um, they know that really I'm trying to get the you know the right product in the right place at the right time, you know for, for the you know for the right price.
1: It is amazing how supply chain has become the dinner table conversation. One of my recent guests was just talking about that to say all of these years he's been trying to explain to his friends and family what he did. And finally he felt redeemed <laughs> because he said, yeah. this, this is what we do. This is how important it is.
0: Yes. You can say the, the toilet paper story, right? That's supply chain.
1: <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Everyone understands it now.
0: Yes. So
1: with all of that, balancing 100% with work, 100% family, there's no doubt from uh, what I understand about your career that you've gotten a lot of results over the years, you've been very busy, you drive innovation, you drive cost reduction. How do you
0: recharge?
1: What makes you feel inspired or like your best self and ready to get up the next day and, and do it all again?
0: So I really love a challenge. The busier and more challenged I am, the happier I am. When I'm really challenged with something difficult and I put the time and effort um, into it to you know figure out a you know solution or you know figure out you know let, let's see how to fix this and I come up with something that's really you know sustainable and just a really good outcome, it really inspires me to keep moving.
1: And what happens if you don't? What happens if you take on a big task and you've got a lot of confidence going into it and then something changes the game along the way and it doesn't turn out? How does that impact you?
0: So, and it's never fun. I mean, definitely that's happened to me in my career, you know, numerous times, things don't always go as planned. You know, so when that happens, you know, I I still keep going. You know, I may have a few hiccups, but, you know, if I keep at it, I know that I'm going to be successful. Basically learn from your mistakes, right? Go through, you know, times where things don't turn out the way you want them to. You have to pivot, right? And you have to figure something else out. So doing that, you know, it, it could be me making a mistake. It could be something just not happening like, like the, uh, the way I thought it would. But all of that still inspires me because it, it lets me kind of, I guess, take a different approach and learn something from it, you know, in the meantime. So I can still be successful, but I've also learned along the way.
1: Yeah, I think that's such a defining characteristic of, of leaders and successful leaders is, is dealing with failure and dealing with mistakes differently right? Because we we all make mistakes. There's going to be things yes. that happen, whether it's our fault or not, right? Things are going to change. And how we respond to adversity, I have always thought is such a contributor to leadership style.
0: Definitely. Yeah. I always say I learn more from my mistakes and from other people than I do, I do myself. So I think keeping that in mind and, you know, making sure you're open to that and you don't get too frustrated, you know, when something happens or doesn't go your way, I think it translates more times than not into success.
1: I have a a CEO friend of mine that actually requires for her key staff, she only puts people around her closest to her on her core team that have faced significant adversity in their career. She feels that strongly about it to say, I want people who have felt the pain and felt adversity, real adversity, and then we're able to deal with it.
0: Yeah, that's great. Yes.
1: So oftentimes, leaders have standout or marquee transformations that they've been a part of or major change initiatives. So I want to shift the conversation a bit to when things go really well. And so do you have a a time that comes to mind of where you led a really significant change or were able to accomplish a big challenge. Do you have one of those that comes to mind and can you tell us about it?
0: One company, they wanted me to come in to build their supply chain from scratch. So of course they had people doing, you know, the various supply chain tasks, if you will, you know, logistics, purchasing, customer service, but they were kind of broken up into different areas So some were reporting into finance, some were reporting into sales. Um, So they Wanted me to come in really and build a, a good robust supply chain team and have everything under one umbrella. So I really had to come in and assess the, you know, the processes, the people, the technology and build a, uh, like I said, a, ro- a roadmap, a scalable and sustainable roadmap for the supply chain team to um, really help move the organization forward.
1: What was the hardest part of
0: that? I think the hardest part in doing that always is making decisions around people. You know, some people are great in their roles. Some people may be great for the organization, but not in the right role. Unfortunately, some people may not be, you know, in the right spot. Unfortunately, it's part of life and you have to, you know, make those tough decisions. But I think that's always kind of the hardest part, trying to navigate through that, you know, make sure you're doing that part of the transformation as empathetic as possible, but, you know, also making sure that you're making the right decisions for the organization.
1: What do you wish that you would have known? on that journey before you started that big transformation? So assuming it was a really successful one, what do you wish you would have known going into it?
0: You know, I didn't really have all the pieces of the puzzle, obviously. So they said, you know, come in, you know, this is what we need. You know, of course they didn't tell me how to do it. That was my job to come up with it, but they didn't really give me any insight on, you know, kind of where the broken parts were or where the gaps were. Um, so I did spend a lot of time up front trying to kind of educate myself and talk to people and look at processes etc to kind of figure out the current state and where some of the gaps were. You know probably could have maybe done things a little bit faster had I known that. It didn't change the end result the end result was still success, I think.
1: What would that team say about the experience of that transformation? whether it was the people who transitioned onto the team or off of the team, how do you think they would reflect back on your leadership during that time?
0: When I first came in and started tackling this, a lot of people weren't very happy (laughs) uh, because people don't want change. People get comfortable. You know, we're all human. I get comfortable also. Maybe we need to look at logistics and how we're doing that, or this is how we're doing purchasing, but we really need to probably bring in X, Y, and Z. So I think at first they were very hesitant, um, but I made sure that they understood what the mission was and they also contributed to it. It was never me telling them this is what we're going to do. All of us collectively as a team deciding, brainstorming and deciding on what was the best for the team and the organization. So at the end, it was I, I had honestly all positive feedback. They embraced it. They said that, you know, us working together as a team uh, is what made it successful and that it was much better than where it was was before we started the the transformation.
1: That engagement goes so far. I talk about that all the time with my clients when we're trying to change very significant things. And sometimes we want to think, oh, it's just a process or it's just a system, but it's never just those things. It's always people doing things in a way, leveraging a process and using tools or making decisions. And when you start changing those things, you know, people like change. They just don't like to be changed <laughs> sometimes. So Exactly. <laughs> that engagement goes a long way, a long way to yes. making it successful. So I want to shift gears a bit and talk about uh, supply chain today in the midst of this environment, this new world that we're a part of. You mentioned it briefly how uh, supply chain has come into focus with the COVID-19 dr- disruptions but how has COVID changed your thinking on supply chain?
0: I've always tried to be, you know, as agile as I can, you know, tried to pivot quickly, but you know, when you get into something like this, which is nobody that's ever seen anything like it, um, a lot of stuff comes to light. So I think it has made me and others I've talked to really try to make sure we are more agile so we can potentially change, you know, production schedules more quickly, or we make sure we are, you know, dual sourcing our supply base, making sure that we have, you know, things in place with, you know, suppliers, for example, that are, you know, either vendor managed inventory or make and hold. So you're not kind of caught when something like this happens and suppliers get overwhelmed. You kind of already have those relationships built up with your suppliers and you're still able to get product. You know, a lot of people I talked to, I didn't have this problem very much, thankfully, because I did have the, the really um, strategic partnerships set up with suppliers. But a lot of people I've talked to said they really got caught. In several areas, logistics and purchasing and production, because they had no kind of contingency plan in place. So they really weren't able to pivot. So by the time they figured out what was going on and started to make changes, you know, they're months down the road and they've lost either customers or uh, suppliers or had other things happen to them like that.
1: It seems like there's been a shift over time. I think many of us have noticed, you know, go back a couple of years, there was trends towards centralizing in low-cost country, centralizing into a more narrow supply base for cost. So, give them more of our share, they'll give us more of the benefit. And now we're starting to see those mindsets questioned and people are looking at decentralization and uh, multiple sourcing, as you've mentioned. How are you thinking about those in light of where we're at today and what the world of supply chain and the priorities of supply chain leaders looks like going forward? How are you thinking about decentralization, for example? And multi-sourcing
0: start I guess with the from the procurement standpoint you know number one you know make sure you have a good risk assessment put in place you know whether it be you do a, a risk assessment matrix um, or something else to help you you know assess the supplier risk and going from there you know make sure that you know as you're doing you know your RFEs you are bringing in, you know, more than one supplier. So I would look at definitely not single sourcing. (laughs) That gets us in trouble generally every time. Uh, You want to have, you know, dual sourcing or, you know, multiple suppliers for the same types of product. You also want to make sure that you are regionally diverse. So you're not, say, just for example, all of your suppliers are in China because, you know, we get hit with the tariffs and that stirs up a whole nother problem. And then you're trying to pivot. Okay, let me go to Vietnam. Let me go to Malaysia or another country. Uh, Whereas you have if you had them, you know, kind of spread throughout the world or throughout the, the region you're working in or the United States, whatever it may be, you know, you're definitely um, mitigating a lot of that risk. I think probably from a production standpoint, you want to make sure that again you are flexible in terms of your of your production line. So a lot more focus on planning needs to happen and kind of what if scenarios, descriptive analytics, but prescriptive and predictive analytics as well. And then of course all of that drives down into your production plan and helps the plant change what they're doing more quickly. So if they need to add another line in the facility, if they need to add more labor. If they need to, you know, if we need to open another plant, all that is helped by having better planning. Um, So, like an SNOP or an IBP process, obviously, is going to be a big help in that as well.
1: You know, Tara, uh, as you know, I spend most of my time in that space, and I can tell a marked difference between the organizations that have those planning processes in place that are mature versus the ones that don't have it or didn't have it rather, or are just starting, their response, not only their supply chain response, but the human side of the response too, the level of anxiety and uncertainty and indecision among the leadership teams are so different when you have a planning process in place versus when you don't.
0: Yes. And another thing I've seen um, a lot in companies is when they don't have that planning process in place, obviously it's always reactive. And people spend so much time reacting and at the detailed level that there's never an ability to step back and breathe and look at more strategic kind of initiatives. So they're trying to just handle, let me just handle the day-to-day, let me keep my head above water, but they don't have the time to really kind of, like I said, step back and say, what can we do? How can we make this better? Let's put these things in place, these processes in place to get us to the next level, because they're always going to be in that kind of reactive mode. I see that every day.
1: Yeah, I call that the captain on the bridge, right? So if you're as, a, as an executive leader, you know, right, your position's on the bridge. You're looking out, you're scanning the horizon, you're looking for issues, but also opportunities, right? You're looking for different routes to take. If a fire breaks out in the engine room and you leave the bridge to go deal with it, which is what many leaders and many of us, I, I'm guilty of that back when I was in industry as a leader, I made those choices sometimes too, where I left the bridge, I went into the engine room, because I wanted to be hands on and solve the problem but as you said exactly what happens you get so pulled into the day-to-day execution that nobody's left on the bridge
0: yeah exactly yeah
1: so when you look across industry today so I know you're very active in all sorts of industry groups and you've got a big network of colleagues and certainly you're you are all sharing ideas and questions and and really helping people come together during this time of uncertainty. When you look out across the supply chain industry right now, what do you see as a common mistake that others are making? And where are they getting things wrong right now that you wish you could just have a big megaphone and say, hey, from experience, this is how we should be doing it?
0: I think that's a great question. The thing I see the most, companies are trying to do the right thing, right? I mean, we all want to do the right thing. So they're trying, but the thing I see most of all that does not work is when companies try to basically move forward more quickly than they can, or that they, they should be, meaning they're trying to be agile, or they are trying to bring in, you know, advanced analytics, you know, they're trying to do digital transformations, for example, they're trying to bring in AI and machine learning, and they don't have the basics to even down. So they're trying to do, you know, build on something that already at the foundation level is unsteady. So they need to go back and look at their processes, their people and their technology from a kind of back to basic standpoint. And then once they get that up and running and it's smooth and they're not having you know very many hiccups with that, then they can start adding on to it but i see so many companies jumping like oh i see all this stuff online and we've got to do this because this company's doing it and we're we're behind the times you know we need to get get in the game and they they put all this stuff into place and it totally just kind of breaks down like a like a house of sand because there's nothing sustainable on the bottom level
1: how would a company know if that's them if if someone's listening to this right now and they're thinking wow we have a big agile implementation going on, or we have digital analytics coming, how might they recognize if they're one of those? What should they be looking for to give them confidence that they do have the fundamentals in place and they have the right foundation before moving ahead? What would be a warning side maybe that they would look for?
0: i would say are things going well or things not going well i mean are you is you know is the team or the organization still reactive uh, are they constantly working either in the past or in the current and not looking out in the future are service levels being being affected by things that they are doing are they running out of incoming supplies uh, in terms of, you know, raw materials being brought in? Are they, are they having issues with, you know, inbound or outbound logistics carriers? So, you know, all of that, I mean, things happen, you know, obviously every day, things the world's not perfect, things are going to happen. But, you know, if you see you're constantly having issues in any of those areas, you probably have some sort of Either people, process, or technology, and I preach that all the time because I truly believe it. It's a combination of all three. It's not not one that that hurts or helps an organization. So I think maybe looking at it from that perspective, um, they can probably pinpoint which areas they need to, you know, kind of wrap their heads around before they move forward.
1: That's a great perspective: people, process, and technology, probably in that order, right?
0: <laughs> right. Yes. <laughs>
1: But they all have to come together to make it successful. So a quick diagnostic on those, you know, are we thinking about this problem and this solution from all three of those points of view rather than just one?
0: Exactly. Yeah.
1: Switching gears away from supply chain and the industry point of view, back to you for a moment. So when you think about your future goals, how far out does that plan go?
0: Um, I probably should have defined a number of years that I'm planning out, but um, I kind of just think of my career journey as a whole, more or less. So it's not, okay, I need to be here in five years. I mean, I do have a retirement goal, obviously, (laughs) at some point, but um, really, it's just a career journey. I mean, I want to continue to succeed. I want to continue to help organizations succeed. I help my team in whatever organization I'm in succeed and, of course, myself succeed. So it's really just making sure that every day I'm making a difference um, and I'm contributing to everyone's success, not just my own. How do you define success?
1: What does it mean to you when you say I want to succeed for my team, for the organization, for myself? How do you know you've done that?
0: So from a team perspective, again, I'm, I'm really, really big on this. You know, if my team is equipped, um, I'm helping them be equipped with the right tools and resources for them to be successful. So that they're performing at their best and they enjoy their job. Um, and I'm providing training and education for them to succeed not only in business, but potentially, you know, and some of that translates over into life. Also, um, I think that's success. Um, From the organization's success, obviously, you know, if if I can come in there and help them with continuous improvement and cost savings, help them grow to that next level, help them increase their bottom line, to me, that's success um, for the organization. And if I'm doing all of that that I just said, I think that I'm being successful.
1: When you're facing a tough issue or a tough decision, maybe a challenge and you need some perspective, who do you seek counsel from?
0: I don't really have a mentor per se, not one person. I have a really good network of people um, that, you know, I've met over the years. It could be former, um, you know, former managers, it could be former colleagues, it could be, you know, employees, you know, that that work for me. Um, So oftentimes I'll just, it depends on really what it is, kind of what the topic is and who obviously I think would be the kind of the best person to answer it because I think that they probably had the same experience, I would reach out to them. So like I said, it's not, not one particular person, because I think everybody has their own, you know, they have, everybody has had their own experiences in life, bring something different to the table. And there's not going to be one person probably that's going to have had the same types of experiences I've had, if that makes sense. So, you know, like I said, it just really depends on what it is that I'll go seek out uh, the, the right person for advice. What would you change
1: about the world today, Tara, if you could with everything that we have going on, feel like things are so different than they were just even a few months ago, really, or last year, but
0: what would you change? Yeah. I would love for everybody around the world to get along, <laughs> um, and then really truly have a global economy where everybody supports one another. I think that would go a long way in obviously life and business. We are a global economy. Obviously, everything that happens around the world pretty much, you know, impacts everybody else around the world. Uh, but we, if we could all just start supporting each other, I mean, we could we could really make a difference. We could change, you know, people's lives, you know, countries' lives, potentially organizations' lives. Um, so I think just just everybody, like I said, just I wish we could just get along and everybody just support everybody all over the world.
1: It would be a a great world to
0: live in for sure. Yes.
1: Any final thoughts for us, Tara, anything that I didn't ask, but I should have.
0: I don't think nothing that you didn't ask. I just say probably just in closing that supply chain is super exciting. And, um, I think now that it has more visibility throughout, like we were talking about earlier from people, you know, really all across the world and then you know kind of top leaders of organizations. I think it's going to be very interesting to see how that rolls out. I think supply chain is going to get a lot more credibility <laughs> going forward with all the things that we do on a daily basis that's not, you know, not particularly glamorous. Uh you know, moving things from place to place, I wouldn't say is glamorous, but um I think that the importance of it is really going to shine through going forward. So I'm really looking forward to what uh, what happens in the next couple of years. Um, with supply chain? I am
1: too. You know, it's this interesting paradox that we've all faced, for me anyway, in that what I find most beautiful about supply chain and why I've devoted my career now to it is the same thing that created its most vulnerable uh, and its weakest elements during COVID. And that is the interconnectivity. You know, the, the enormous amount of people and effort and integration that it's required to move things to different places, right? So to your point, I, you know, buy things and, and move things. Mm-hmm. It takes thousands of people across yes. multiple companies to buy things and move things and get them to where we need them. And that, that part of supply chain to me is absolutely fascinating, but it became our weakest link when things got disrupted with COVID, right? The interconnectivity is what shut things down.
0: Absolutely.
1: And it's such a paradox, and I'm so excited to see where it takes us as we go forward from here.
0: Yep, same here.
1: Well, thank you so much for your time today, Tara. Really appreciate it.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: And thank you for listening to The Supply Chain Show. If you like the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and wherever you stream your content. If you wanna know more, in the meantime, check out my website, crystallee.net. Until next time.